Thanks for tuning in to Horizon Community Church's podcast. Our hope and prayer is that wherever you are, you would be encouraged by this message and be equipped to face any challenges that come your way. More information about Horizon can be found at www.horizonweb.org. Welcome Lodi and those who are watching online. Um, we are starting a series today on John the Baptist. And honestly, in all the years I've preached, I've really never done an in-depth study on John the Baptist. Uh, which is sad to say because Jesus' words of him was there's none greater, more than women. And uh, my hope is as we walk through this for the next four weeks, I'm going to try to keep it to four weeks. But I said that about Revelation too. So... And people say, well, you went longer. I said, are we in a hurry? I mean, I, I, I don't feel like I got a hurry, all right? So, but it is an incredible study of a man who, if you think about it, the world would say was a failure. I mean, his life was short. His ministry was short, uh, a year and a half, a year of which he was in jail. So it was only six months that he'd spent doing it. And he died at between 30 and 33 years old. I, it hit me this last week, the age of my son, Michael, or Justin. Yet Jesus said of him, there is no one greater. And my hope is where, as we go through this, is that you will be encouraged that God has a plan. He always has a plan. And we, just like John, are a part of that. So if you have your Bibles, we're going to be in Luke chapter 1 today and uh, talking about the birth of John. But what I want to do is I want to start at the end of Luke and then come back to the beginning because this kind of sets the stage for where this whole series will go. It says in Luke 1 verse 66, Everyone who heard this wondered about asking, what then is this child going to be? I don't know if you've thought that of your own kids or you see other kids. I think of my my kids. I think of my grandkids. I watch them run around the yard. I see little Hazel May's imagination. And little Alexander had his first blue-belly lizard on his arm yesterday. Didn't scare him. He thought just started petting it, and it just started creeping. I thought it'd go in his mouth, but it didn't. Um, we all wonder, what then is this child going to be? For the Lord's hand was with him. God is the main player. He's the main player in this drama. He's the main player through the whole word of God. He is the centerpiece. The story is about him. But as that story is about him, everything in scripture is about him, this is true of our own life. For the Lord's hand was with him, was with her, better yet, is with you. The Bible's revelation is God telling a story. It's about his nature. It's about his character, his works, his purpose, his will, and he is being revealed. So when you read scripture, it's, it's revealing who he is. As I said last Sunday, I'm working through my way through Psalms, and I'm just purposefully circling descriptions of how God is described 
through the Psalms. But again, my reading yesterday was David crying out because he's running from Saul, but he, he says that, God, you have a purpose that you will see this through. What was true in David's life, what was true in John the Baptist's life is true in our life too. And so what this story tells, and the main point really going through this series is everything in the story of John the Baptist evidenced the mighty intervention of God. Every step of it. But I'm going to say the same about you guys. I'm going to keep pointing to you to that fact. That God is very involved in history. God is very involved in the, the themes that are taking place in this world. Even though it seems like you know, the, the loonies are running the loony bin. And yeah. But the Bible continues to remind us to look to God. Because Luke 1, God is launching the greatest redemptive story in history. Because John is the, the precursor. He's the one crying in the wilderness announcing the Savior. And so everything begins here. And so let me set the stage because in Luke, what, what you have really with the Gospels, you, you, if you have your Bible, you can look that it's kind of split in two sections. You've got the Old Testament, the Hebrew Scriptures, and you've got the New Testament that is written to the church. But in between the last book of the Bible, Malachi, and really the Gospels that are at the front of the New Testament, there was what was called 400 silent years. 400 years that a prophet didn't speak. 400 years that we didn't see a, a, a miracle recorded. 400 years where an angel had not spoken. So it's called this 400 silent years. And the stage was set. You have Herod who is in charge. Herod was a, a leader. He was crafty. He was cruel. He was... Sex was everything for him. He, he's the one who constructed the temple in Jerusalem, the great temple of Herod. And it was bigger than Solomon's. It was bigger than his guy. It was bigger than anything that they'd ever seen. But he was so tied in with Rome that he actually put the Roman seal on the entrance to the temple to the Jews who were just so angered at that fact. And he brought all these Gentile statements in it. He began to rob the people of the poor to build his fortresses, to build his palaces, which they're still digging up today in Israel, all the grandeur that he had. And so it was set in this time that we find Luke 1, verse 5, that says this. In the time of King Herod of Judah, there was a great, there was a, high, a priest named Zechariah who belonged to the priestly division of Abijah. His wife, Elizabeth, was also a descendant of Aaron. Both of them were upright in the sight of God, observing all that the Lord's commandments and, regulation, and regulations blamelessly. These were good people. These were people that followed the Lord of the God. I mean, they had good standing in the sight of God. Usually it says good standing in the sight of men, but they had good standing in the sight of God, and they were blameless. They followed all the laws. But verse 7 says, but they had no children because Elizabeth was barren and they were both well along in years. Which for a Jewish woman to not have children, she was looked down upon as if God was frowning upon her. And they were older and that plays very much into the story. What's interesting is that the name Zechariah literally means God's remembrance and Elizabeth means God's oath. 
So even the naming of these two people is showing how God is very much involved in what is going on here. And Zechariah was a priest. Not only Zechariah, but Elizabeth was from a priestly line as well. And so Zechariah, as a priest, his responsibilities was that he had to go to Jerusalem twice a year to fulfill his priestly duty. That would include two Sabbaths and six days. And so every twice a year, he would make that trip, do his duty, and then come back. And it says here in in verse 8, once when Zechariah's division was on duty and he was serving as priest before God, he was chosen by lot according to the custom of the priesthood to go into the temple of the Lord and burn incense. Now, what makes this significant one is um, the writer Josephus, who was a Jewish historian at the time, said, at any given time, there was 20,000 priests in, in Israel. 20,000. And that's why they were on the cycle that they would go through. And so when your turn came up, there was duties that everyone had to do during that time. But the most honored duty, the one that everyone sought to, have, to, to do, was to place the incense on the altar, which would symbolize, it would smoke up and go up to heaven, symbolizing the prayer that that priest was offering for the nation of Israel. And it says here, which is significant, verse 9, he was chosen by lot. So names were put in a bag or a hat or something, and all of a sudden Zechariah's name was pulled out. But here's the deal. If you were chosen, you only had one shot at this. Your name was out of circulation. It was a one time, one time in a lifetime that you could do this very thing. So, and then you were done. Never to do it again because of how many priests there were. And this is going to be as close as you could get to the Holy of Holies. Because there's, I don't have time to go into the temple itself, but flash up that picture, that red picture of the, of the temple. You had, that was the altar of incense. You had the candlestick, you had the table of show, show, showbread, and he would walk to there. This curtain back over here was the curtain for the Holy of Holies. How close? This is the closest he would ever come to the Ark of the Covenant, to the Holy of Holies, because only the high priest could go in there, and only one time a year. And he was never going to be a high priest. So this, you got to imagine for Zechariah. Not only was his lot, I mean, he's old, so his name had been put in a hat for years and years and years, nothing, nothing, nothing. And all of a sudden, his name is drawn. And I mean, you can imagine the congratulations and the high five. I mean, that was taking place. He's excited. I'm sure he's nervous too. I don't want to screw this up. I only got one shot at this. And so his job was to go in at the appointed time. The people would gather for prayers. He'd walk through and on that altar, he would sprinkle the incense again and pray for the people. Everything in this story of John the Baptist is evidence of the mighty intervention of God, even from him being picked. Verse 11 says, And then the angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing at the right side of the altar of incense. And when Zacharias saw him, he was startled and was gripped with fear. I would be gripped by a lot of other things too. I'd be changing my pants. So... And then the angel said to him, do not be afraid, which you see that always. When angels show up, 
There's fear. Don't be afraid. Your prayer has been heard. And your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son. And you are to give him the name John. Now, when it says here your prayer has been heard, guys, all our prayers are heard by God. Whether they're responded to, whether they're acted upon is another thing. I mean, God says yes, no, or wait, all right? And no is an answer just as much as yes is an answer. Or wait is an answer. And some would think that right after your prayer has been answered and your wife Elizabeth will bear a son and you will give him the name of John, that's the prayer that he's talking about, that they prayed. Maybe that's what, that, maybe that's what Zachariah prayed, give us a child. I doubt it. He is old. His wife's old. They're beyond that. I'm sure they prayed that over and over and over and over and over again. But how many prayers have you prayed and then it just, things just fall off? Whether it's because of money, because of age, because of timing. You're just not praying that anymore. It's not that God doesn't, he doesn't forget. And most likely, Zechariah, when he's offering the prayers, he's offering the prayers for the nation of Israel, to restore the nation of Israel. Remember, you got old Herod. He's horrible. Look what he's done to his people. And, and restore, rescue. And everyone truly were waiting for a Messiah to be born. So that is what he's praying as he spreads the incense over the coals and all of a sudden this angel shows up. And it says in verse 14, the, the angel tells him about his son, he will be a joy and a delight to you. And many will rejoice because of his birth. Why? Because you guys were old, man. And now you got a kid? For he will be great in the sight of the Lord. He is never to take wine or any fermented drink. He's not to have any alcohol. And somebody says, well, he's going to be a Nazarite, you know, kind of like uh, Samson was. That's not what it's here because that would be connected where you couldn't cut your hair either. But he was put in a stipulation. John's going to be separate. No alcohol. And he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even from birth. Only place in the scripture where you see a baby was filled with the Holy Spirit. As Christians, we became filled with the Holy Spirit when we accepted Jesus. That's at that moment. But this was going to take place in John the minute he was born. Many of the people of Israel will bring back He'll bring back to the Lord our God. Now, verse 17 says, and he will go before the Lord in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. And that statement right there is actual prophecy from the book of Malachi. So the last book of the Bible, Malachi, is making the prophecy of the coming Elijah, of one who's going to come to announce the Messiah is there. And so this angel saying, you're going to take joy in the sun. People will rejoice over it. He's going to be filled with the Spirit, and he's going to be like Elijah. I mean, Elijah was a pretty big, pretty big prophet of Israel, but he's going to be the one that's going to come to announce the coming of the Messiah. And the hearts of the fathers will turn back to their children. The fathers had not been raising their children in that anticipation of the Messiah. People were living in disobedience. When John comes, when John announces, when he's the voice crying in the wilderness, people will turn back to God. 
Fathers will then again instruct their children and point to what is taking place. I mean, he is building. Man, there's a lot weighing in on John here. In verse 18, Zechariah asked the Lord, how can I be sure of this? I'm an old man, and my wife is well along in years. Now, I, I don't fault Zechariah, because if that was me, I'd probably ask the same thing. I mean, if I'm 80 years old, and all of a sudden an angel shows up and says, hey, your wife, who's just that much older than you, is going to have a baby. I'd be saying, hey, wait, how, what, no, 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 how's that going to happen? That's impossible. Do you look at us? We're old. And it's not the fact that he had the question because you go back to Abraham. Abraham questioned God. You have Gideon and Hezekiah questioned God. You have to have Mary. How is this possible when I'm a virgin? It's all back to the attitude because that's what we don't see here. Zechariah is speaking from unbelief and tries to remind the angel, hey, we're old. Things like that don't happen. And when we read verse 19, it's easy just to read it just straight. And the angel answered, I'm Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God, and I've been set to speak to you. But I don't think that's how it was. All right? That's why when you're reading, you've got to put, you've got to picture this. I think it was more like this. I'm Gabriel. I stand at the right hand of God. I mean, you've got to understand this is what's going on here. I've come to speak to you about the good news, and now you will be silent and not able to speak until the day this happens because you did not believe my words, which will come true at their proper time. Now, it probably sounds more like the Wizard of Oz voice, you know. Don't look beyond me. Okay. But I guarantee you, I mean, here's Zechariah doubting the angel, speaking to God. And he pronounces judgment immediately. You will not speak until the proper time. And this speak, he will not speak at the proper time. This was not only he couldn't speak, he couldn't hear either. He was both deaf and dumb. We know that because, one, the word that is used there is used specifically throughout the Gospels for those who can't hear and can't speak. And besides, they were doing all charades trying to get his attention. Why would they do charades if he could hear? So he was struck both. He could not hear and he could not speak. And really, the ultimate thing, you'll believe. You want a sign? I'll show you a sign. You're not going to talk, and you're not going to be able to hear until the proper time. I'm glad the angel just did that with Zachariah. It doesn't do it with us. I mean, how many of us would be deaf and mute today because we didn't believe what the Word of God says? How many times have you read the word? You go, no, yeah, come on. That has been given to you. Declaring the themes of God. I think we're all blessed that this only happened to Zechariah because he doubted what God's word said. Verse 21 says, meanwhile, 
the people were waiting for Zechariah and wondering why he stayed so long in the temple. When he came out, he could not speak to them. They realized he'd seen a vision in the temple, and he kept making the signs to them, but remained unable to speak. When the time of service was completed, he returned home. Which, again, I try to put myself, he just kept doing his job, but he couldn't speak, couldn't hear. And if he was journaling, I would have loved to see those journal entrances at that point in time of what was going through his mind, of what he was trying to describe to people, what he saw, what he experienced. Probably thinking, what am I, I going to tell Elizabeth? Or how, I'm gonna, how am I going to tell Elizabeth? But we do know this. He went home and got busy, and she got pregnant. All right, so he did take what the angel said seriously. So men, let me give you a warning. Do not say to your wife, hey, honey, an angel told me that we need to have some more sex, all right? Because you will probably be made dumb really quick and mute uh, all of a sudden. Luke 1, 24 says, after this, his wife Elizabeth became pregnant, and for five months she remained in seclusion. The Lord has done this for me, she said. In those days he has shown his favor and taken away my disgrace among she became pregnant. But in that story, we're not going to go into, that's also when Mary was visited by an angel and said that she was going to be pregnant. And then it was announced to her that your relative, Elizabeth, because Jesus and John were related, your relative, Elizabeth, is already pregnant. And so she runs and she goes there to see her. And as soon as she entered the room and greeted Verse 44 of Luke 1 says, As soon as the sound of your greeting reached my ears, Elizabeth says, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. I mean, the first person to react to the presence of Jesus was John. Verse 57, when it was time for Elizabeth to have her baby, she gave birth to a son. Her neighbors and relatives heard that the Lord had shown her great mercy, and they shared her joy, and they threw a party. Now, understand culturally, this was only thrown for a boy. They did not throw, sorry, women, a party for a girl. All right? And, and the primary reason was that every Jewish woman had the possibility of possibly bringing the Messiah into the world. And that's why men, men, male childs were celebrated, that this could be the Messiah. This could be the Messiah. And so a family would hire a band, they'd throw a party, and they'd basically start you know, taking a pool, what is the name going to be for this child? And so everyone's kind of grouped together trying to figure out, because on the eighth day, they came to the circumcised the child. They were going to name him after his father, Zechariah. They being the crowd, not Elizabeth and Zechariah. Right, it's got to be Zechariah. That's got to be the name. I mean, they're old. They're not probably going to have any kids. And if they want that name to continue, they've got to give this boy the same name as Papa but that's not how it played out. His mother said in verse 60. Mother, mother spoke up and said, no, he is to be called John. And they said to her, there's no one among your relatives who has that name. They made signs to the father to find out what he would like to name the child. And he asked for a writing tablet. And to everyone's astonishment, he wrote his His mouth was open and his tongue was loosed and he began to speak and praise God. They didn't understand why John, but 
Elizabeth knew, and definitely Zachariah knew. <laughs> Name's John. John. I mean, this is going to be happening. His name is John, and the miracle instantly takes place. And it says in verse 65, the neighbors were all filled with awe throughout the hill country of Judea. People were talking about all these things. Everyone who heard this wondered about it, asking, what then is this child going to be? I mean, fear gripped everyone. Awe gripped everyone. Guys, the power of God is an incredibly wondrous thing. When you see the power of God at work, it, it does create awe. It does create fear. It creates wonder. When you recognize that God has intervened in such a way, what does that create in you? I mean, I wrote down some questions for myself. I mean, when was the last time you were in awe of God? That you were struck by his wonder. That you were inspired by his wonder. I don't know how much that happens. As I look at culture and society, man, we're all doing this on our phone. And any moment that you have to sit, you're instantly checking what's going on in the world. That how often do you just sit and stare? Sit and wonder. I mean, I, again, I, I have no guilt. I, I'm not... I'm not, uh, not, the word's not inspired. I'm not motivated by guilt. Don't try to guilt me into anything. It doesn't work, all right? You can use cigars. You can use a lot of other things for that, but, but not that. And I have no problem sitting and staring um, at the wonder of God, whether it's the butterflies flying around my house, whether it's just watching a little Hazel May's attention. I'm just, just a... Her imagination just talking about this or coming up with a joke out of nowhere. Where did she get that? I don't know. I mean, and little Alexander with that little blue belly. I mean, you'd think he'd freak out, but he was just, just staring and just watching him. It'd crawl up his arm and him giggling. The wonder. That, that we just see or just stare at my hand. I, I know I'm weird. I, I'll just stare at my hand. And look at these fat, stubby pork chops with little nubs on the end of it going, these hands play guitar, they play an instrument, they build things, they type, they write stories. I mean, I'm in awe. When was the last time you just sat and went, wow? Because you got to take that time. It, I mean, they'll spring up on you. Something will happen. You'll go, wow, wow. But I think we just need to take time to create those times of just staring at the wonder of God and listen. I was at a cemetery a couple weeks ago. I took a motorcycle ride out there. and It's out in Clements. It's a great, great cemetery out there. It's the picnic bench, the whole nine yards. And I, I just get out there when no one bugs you in the cemetery, so it's a, it's a good quality time. And it was a beautiful, gorgeous day. The mountains were covered in snow, and I take a picture of it, and I send it to a friend. She, she says, it'd be great, wouldn't it, if a yellow butterfly were to fly right by right now? But that would be too much to ask. So I'm just sitting there, and I said, it's time to go. I need to get back. And I pack up my stuff, and I stand up, and I just felt 
for lack of a better term, I just felt like I needed to wait. Okay, wait for what? Is somebody going to come by? Am I supposed to have a divine appointment here in the cemetery? No dead person's going to come out, is there? I mean, I mean, I'm thinking through all those things, and how long do I have to wait? I mean, I waited five minutes, I waited 10 minutes, waited 15 minutes, and just sat and looked, and nothing happened. So I get up, take four steps, and right then, the yellow butterfly comes flying by and lands on the tree in front of me. And I just sat there, I took a picture, and just... It took that long for the butterfly to fly from my house to the cemetery, so it needed 15 minutes to get there. Um, What's the deal with the yellow butterflies? I said, guys, it creates wonder and awe in me. Well, God's not sending that. Hey, my God can do anything. And sometimes we just have to wait and look for it. Luke 166 says they in there, for the Lord's hand was with him. So let me mess with you for a minute. Just close your eyes and let's pretend you're just in here by yourself. I'm not gonna do anything weird, promise. And what if you heard me whisper in your ear? The mighty that? That the mighty hand of the Lord is with you. Ephesians 2.10, my life verse, for we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do the good works which God prepared in advance for us to do. But I can turn that to you, for you are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance to do for you to do. Well, how about you say, for I am God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for me. The Lord's hand is with you just as much as it was with John. Everything in the story of John the Baptist evidenced the mighty intervention of God. The question that we will continue to come back to is this. John fulfilled his purpose, his call in his life. Are you fulfilling You are his workmanship. You were created in Christ Jesus to do something which he prepared in advance before you even came out of your mother's womb to do. Are you fulfilling yours? Father in heaven, thank you for today. Thank you for waking us up, getting us dressed, and bringing us here. Lord, I pray that we would not just take this as a story that happened a long time ago. It did. But a story about your character and truth that you're still speaking today. 
for your mighty hand is at work always. And you've chosen to use us to be a part of that, to fulfill the purpose on our life. May we truly do that, I pray. In Jesus' name.